So the things that people hate about their career, the things that drain them and make them feel awful are clients. The second most common are challenging cases. The third thing were more structural things, but they were things like back-to-back consults, not enough time to do the work. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of That Vet Life. I am joined by our friend and wonderful advisor, Dr. Dave Nichols. So Dave, welcome back to the show. Hello, Dr. Mariah McCauley. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, doing good. It's been a wee while since we've had you on the show. Um, a couple episodes have already been kicked out to the ethersphere. Is that the word? Is that the word ethersphere? Oh, well, airwaves. It, it, it works. Podcast it works. world. That's, yeah, I it's like, out there. I like what you've done with the place. You know, it's looking oh, good. thanks. Sounding yeah, a good. couple new decorations. Yeah, you know, here and there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So today we had a, a little bit of a hot topic that's been on your mind. I mean, just talking about like what is going on with these new graduates? Like what is causing them to really just be burnt out and focusing on the little aspects that we can be doing as veterinarians in the practice to better support them. I think the first thing that was really on your mind was this whole topic about like the structure of what's going on in the day-to-day of what happens in a practice. So what are some of those structural things that, I guess, like, where do you think we should start? Like, what is the things that's burning them out or what should we do? Like reverse engineer this. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's two interesting things. What sort of really got my gray juices flowing on this, and I'm going to put up a little picture just now, Mo. So that oh yeah, this is like a little. So you guys can't see this, but we'll put it in the the show notes or on the web page. And I think you need to show the photo that's behind you exactly. as well. Oh yeah. Hey. Oh, you need to screen grab inspo, that. Inspo. Inspo. To... Wait, I can do that on here. I don't know how. I think you can do it on any. Hold on. Let's see if I can do it. <laughs> I mean, this is a. Wait. Did you do it? Are I you? I don't know. <laughs> we're trying to do a screen grab on a recording program that we're using right now. <laughs> it's horrible. You'd think that we'd be better at this, guys, but we're not. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's something, something should oh, be taken off. Oh, wait. Gosh. It did something. It did something. I think it was those two buttons. Okay. So. Professional podcasters. I know. It's a blatant ripoff of a Banksy. And Banksy, I'm sure most people know who Banksy is, is a UK street artist who takes, he does it in a sort of pop art style, stencil artist, and he takes cultural moments. He captures Zeitgeist in very ironic ways, but combines sort of landmarks or very prominent iconography from, his latest one was the seaside iconography. And he takes and he makes social commentary of that. So he had crabs with shells as migrants painting on the beach at Margate in the UK, where the southern counties of the United Kingdom tend to get quite a lot of migrants mm-hmm. trying to come across the channel. And like all art, it's there to provoke a reaction. And there's just, you know, I really like Banksy's. And so I thought, you know, there's the the picture behind me is of a rioter throwing a Molotov bunch of flowers rather than a cocktail. And it's such a juxtaposition between something that's lovely and something that's meant to bring death and hate and rain fury mm-hmm. on somebody. I like that. But I, I thought with the, the drawing we we're producing just now, and, and it fits with sort of that vet life, just exploring the moments and the, the issues at hand and just how we are in this moment where just everybody seems to hate their job. It's sad. It's kind of painful to watch. And so that was just a piece of art that came out of you know, a little bit of sort of combination with Banksy in the background and what I was observing in the in the industry. But concurrently with that, we ran a little survey 
which looked at in graduates, this is sort of two-year qualified graduates, so not far off the stage of their career that you're at in yours, entering that sort of second year in practice and said, ask them five questions. And one of the questions was, what are the three things that energize you the most in veterinary medicine? And then we asked, what are the three things that drain you the most? Because we know that when you get drained, that's when you end up being burned out. We asked them to score their careers on a score of one to 10, with one being, I really hate my career, this sucks, and 10 being, I really love my career, this is everything I could ever dream of. Where were they in their relationship with their career just now? And we asked them all if they had a plan for what they were doing next. And the results were so fascinating, Mo. And I'm going to ask you, what would you guess? What would your top three energizers? Let's let's start with energizers. My top three energizers are the client relationship, building those long-term clients. Because when you see them come into the building and you just have a good conversation, like you leave the exam room feeling energized. So those positive client interactions. Yep. The next thing that would be positive, um, really energizing is having, I guess, like successful clinical outcomes is always good. The ones where you've learned a ton coming out of them, those ones are always very good. Mm, okay. And yep. The last one would be positive clinic culture, the ones where you actually are excited to go into work because of the people that you work with, and you know that by working with them, things are more likely to go well. Okay. So those would be my three things. All right. So they're your three energizers. What are your three drainers or your three dementors? My three dementors are certainly the clients that are not fun to deal with, the ones that are very angry or just a lot of pushback and that you leave the exam room feeling drained, feeling inadequate. The next one would be cases where you're not able to do everything that you should be able to. So maybe you just don't have the right equipment. You don't have enough people. The client doesn't have enough financial to be able to do everything that you think can like do, create a positive outcome in the okay. clinic. And then the last one, of course, like all of these are kind of like the alter ego of my energizers. So the last one is a negative clinic culture. So the one where you dread going into work, you dread working with that person just because you know it, you're going to butt heads, things are not going to go well, you're not going to be able to hear each other and have those kind of negative outcomes. Okay. Now, what would you give yourself as a score of one to 10 on how you feel about your career right now? This is vulnerable. I would say like a seven or an eight. Okay. And last question do you have a clear plan in place? Doesn't matter so much how far away that plan is or what the plan is, but do you have a plan in place? Yes. Okay. So what's super interesting about this is that these things are almost ubiquitous based on the survey. So the things that people hate about their career, the things that drain them and make them feel awful are clients by far and away, massive number, of vets rank clients top of the list. By miles, that's the most common. The second most common are challenging cases. <laughs> the third thing actually was were more structural things, but they were things like back-to-back -back consults, not enough time to do the work. There were things that were a bit outside of the control of the individual. Okay. And things that could loosely be bulked into structural clinical issues. And not far behind mm -hmm. that, was yeah. was a toxic culture it wasn't as explicit as you've made it okay. and on the energizer side 
the three things that energized people were clients, appreciative clients, <laughs> top of the list. Funny how that is. <laughs> Second on the list, challenging cases. Oh. Third on the list, positive culture. Great oh my teammate. gosh. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm average, guys. <laughs> Yay. So what's interesting about this is that it was almost a chirality to get chemistry on us but you know they're, they're the molecules that are the same just opposites and you know left and right thumb molecules they look identical but they're completely different impacts and what's the common thing in the middle is the veterinarian now that to me is a wonderfully uplifting message because it means that the individual can actually be in control of the situation so can you influence client relationships you absolutely can those positive clients we are in the pole position for creating that interaction. You know, we're half of the dance, possibly more, and we're 100% of our side of the dance. Can we work on our skills to affect better clinical outcomes? Absolutely. And are we, can we lead or be part of a positive culture that can lead that change? Or do we sink into the negativity? Do we give into it? So work on your client relationships. Successful clinical outcomes, and the crucial thing you said there was from a challenging, you know, from a case that you learned something, i.e. it wasn't so easy you didn't learn it. It wasn't rote. It wasn't so hard you felt out of control and like you were doing something that was like, like dangerous, but it challenged you. And that is the engagement part of its work that challenges you, that, that offers you meaning. Veterinary medicine has got it baked in. Like it's scary the moment we're in. Like that thought that we're, so many of us are throwing our stethoscopes away is really scary. But what's really scary is that the opportunity is in our power to change this. Now, it's not completely in our power. And that's kind of what I wanted to really dig into a little bit or just call out a little bit on the podcast mm -hmm. because there are structural issues that are happening that are beyond the control of veterinarians. And I think this is at the core mm -hmm. of why we're burning out because all of these things can be positive energizers, but when we're just bloody exhausted because we're doing back-to-back -back consults all day, not getting breaks, not getting lunch, trying to be everything to all clients, and that's being fostered and encouraged by practices up and down the country, that's not good enough. And we can't blame vets for wanting to leave when that's the circumstances we're throwing them into. Absolutely, yeah. So let's dive into that then. So we've talked about like, I honestly, like, I want everybody to go and look at that study just because it is very eye-opening and it kind of lays the groundwork for this roadmap that we're about to talk about here. So let's talk about these structural things. So you were touching on the, like, the consult time. Mm. Like, what about that's going on there? Okay, so there's two things with consult time from a structural point of view. And here in the United Kingdom, there are practices that still do 10-minute appointments and expect graduates to survive and just cope in 10 minute appointments that has to stop that is ridiculous i couldn't do it now i had to do it when i graduated and it was pretty terrible it, it's a throwback to a time when everything got steroids and antibiotics and vaccine appointments were catch-up appointments and wellness wasn't a thing and cats got scruffed and sprayed with nuvan top on the back stomach and on the sides and that was their flea treatment once a year it is Ugh. a throwback to those days, and it does not have a place in modern medicine where you're asking people at the same time to live up to today's standard. 
if you're okay, if your practice is set up to do something different where you don't have that expectation, then it's hard to make that judgment. But if you're asking graduates and you're employing graduates who are expecting to work up to a standard to deliver that standard in that time frame, then that's wrong. And I know that doesn't happen a lot in the US, but it happens a lot in the UK. It happens in Australia. It happens in other countries in the world. It is ridiculous. And if you're asking graduates to do that, then you're burning graduates out. And do not blame anybody else for the reason that people are leaving this profession. If you're unwilling to change that, own that. I have no idea how I, no, I would not have been able to learn what I have and build the confidence that I have if I had been forced into 10 minute appointments when I first started. Like, do you want to know how long my appointments were when I first started? Yeah, go. An hour. You know what? I love that. I love that. Now, it's not economically viable. No, but for those first week or two, it was because I learned the computer system. I learned the protocols of the hospital. I got to learn how to run diagnostics in that particular hospital so that now I can actually do the 30-minute appointments where there are like a ton of diagnostics that have to be done that probably like no, it's really hard to fit into a 30-minute appointment, but at my time uh, management, everything stems from my practice saying, you know what, we're going to lose money on this girl for the first week, couple weeks here while we give her a lot of time. But the flip side is that now I am able to provide really high quality medicine, take really good care of my clients and my patients, all because of the basis that they gave me at that time. So I, gosh, 10 minute appointments. I like, excuse me while I pull my jaw off the floor. <laughs> and listen, I'm going to shout out for the business owners here who right now, if, if any are listening to this, will be screaming going, you lose money on a graduate for the first year. And, and that, blah, 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 blah. But that, that is relatively true. Like, it's, it's true. A, yeah. But that's okay because guess what? That happens to everybody. And, you know, the stats say that certainly from this side of the pond, that graduates hang around an average of 15 months in a job. But if you treat them like crap and with 10-minute appointments, no wonder it's so low. And besides, isn't it better if everybody looked after, you know, the first job you choose as a graduate determines a lot about how you feel about your career after that. So if we all were to wrap a bit of a nurturing arm around this generation and help them ease into a profession that is different today than what it was when I graduated and 20 years before that, vastly different, such that they were retained, not necessarily always within our practices, because people will move. That's the nature of, mm -hmm. of life now. But if they stay within the profession, there will be other people willing to move to our area. And that's okay. Because the next layer of experience and knowledge is still in the marketplace that is then hireable. Like we only have ourselves to blame to be in this untenable situation that we're in right now i'd be terrified if i was a corporate consolidator right now buying up at these massive multiples and i wasn't addressing this problem i would be terrified as an investor but what's going to mm -hmm. happen to my money when there's nobody will work in my practices anymore absolutely oh, gosh <laughs> So Mo, I actually, I'm kind of keen to hear from you because I want to hear more about what did your practice do right to support you? Because I, I was really impressed by some of the things you were telling me about your practice. And then I would love to share what we're doing in at Roundwoods, my practice in London. Absolutely. Uh, to support our younger vets when they're joining the practice. Yeah, we can throw some ideas out there for people who are wondering. Like, Because honestly, I think, like, I think every single practice, if you are planning on, which you should be, bringing in new graduates to your practice, 
you need to have a new graduate scheme or new graduate plans roughly in place so that when they come, you can say, all right, how do we help you best so that you can help us best? With my practice, one of the first things I asked was like, have you had a new graduate before? And they had. So in some respect, they were familiar with what it looks like to have a new grad working and kind of the time frame that it takes. So I wasn't anything new, but the things that I asked after that were new. That's important, so one of the, actually, that you're not yeah. just getting somebody going, yeah, no, this is their first time. We've really thought about it because there's mm-hmm. that doesn't quite cut it. So I love that. Yeah. So definitely ask if they've had a new graduate before, when that was, and kind of what happened. And if that person's still in the practice, ask to talk to them. Yeah. Figure out like what it actually looked like from their perspective, rather than what the the flashy every like interview looks like. After that, the next thing that I did is I actually came up with a mentorship agreement. It is in my contract, and I will preach about this to the end of time, but because <laughs> um, it has made a huge difference for my practice. In that we basically, AHA has like a, a new graduate list, honestly, and that's what we used as our, our rubric. And we took things from that and brought other things in to make it what we needed as a practice and for me as an individual. And building that into my contract meant that we talked about appointment time. We talked about what type of appointments I would have for the first span of like a couple weeks and then the next three months and then the next six months and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. We talked about the type of surgeries I would be doing, who would be in surgery with me. Would I be like have someone there or would they be on consults that I'd have to pull out in case like, and also when I'm on appointments, uh, like I'm just like spinballing all of these things off. Um, when I'm on appointments, would I ever be a solo doctor? If I was, when in my first year would that occur? If it were to occur on an emergency basis or something like what would be the fallback plan? We talked about every little detail that we could possibly think of to set this up for success so that my expectations going into this and their expectations could be met. You were literally on the same page. Yes. One of the biggest problems I have seen with people who have left their first job is because they were promised something that was up at the top of Mount Everest and they were offered the Dead Sea. (laughs) <laughs> and like, that's what actually happened was the Dead Sea. So I don't know about the elevation difference in those, but anyway, it sounds good. So <laughs> that would be, big. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that would be like the major thing that my practice did. And that honestly, I brought it up to them. And when I brought up the idea, they're like, what the heck is a mentorship agreement? What the heck does this look like? They had never heard of it before. It was only a new concept to me. I'd heard from a different podcast. So <laughs> I, uh, pulled that idea in and it made a huge difference. Is that to say that we actually met every single thing that we came up with? No, but it's honestly worked out and it kept the expectations at a reasonable level so that the realities of what happened in in life like came to fruition. So that's what we did in, in my little practice. And then it's Not just a practice, matter of the practice I work at. Right. And then it's just a matter of making sure those things come yes. true and you're keeping your word to each other. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. So what we decided to do at Roundwood, because we started out and we were really a one vet practice, then we went to two vet practice. And I felt like we probably, you know, retrospectively jumped the gun a little bit and went for a graduate a bit too soon. And so we initially start to take graduates. We realized that we were not doing a good job of being able to offer the level of support our graduates needed. And so we made the decision to not take graduates until we were 
a three doctor practice. So we could always have somebody available because that, that support, that was what came back in that survey. It's, you know, it's, it's support, emotional, clinical. And so we were decided to be very intentional. When we went back to the well, we thought, first of all, we want somebody who's a little bit more experienced than zero for the time being. When we get up to four vets, that's when we'll take a, another graduate mm-hmm. because we can really be very, very careful and intentional about slow build up a workload, just like a muscle. You know, you, yeah. you just don't go start pounding massive weights right away, do you? Or you break, you know, so same thing. So we, we have took on a recent graduate and we said, okay, what does the perfect job look like? What do we think that looks like? And what evidence can we gather to support and see what people would they agree that this looks like. And so we thought, okay, we, some of this needs to be about appointment length. Some of this needs to be about support. Some of it needs to be about giving time off for recharge as well. And so we created a system where we've got our, our vets work five days a week, but they're, they're eight hour shifts. And actually they're seven and a half hour shifts because everyone gets a half hour for lunch. Okay. So it's very hard to get completely burned out when you've got that much of your day left for you. Now, that doesn't work for everyone because some people like a four-day week and they prefer a lot working longer shifts. What we also said was, well, we want the growing phase to continue. We want to make a plan with somebody because a plan seems to be very important for driving accomplishment intentionally. So we want to make a plan and we want to give our vets, our young vets certainly, and you know, this kind of extends almost to an extent without it being written into a contract it's almost become a bit of a cultural norm that learning time is really important you know we've we've flowed that into the team at vedex as well so everybody has a half day for reading like it's expected you you must take time to go learn and work on you and so we said look we want individuals to have the opportunity to go take a day off not every week because that gets really hard on the schedule yeah but every couple of weeks with a degree of flexibility, if somebody calls in sick, we'll, we'll bank it and you can certainly do that. But schedule some intentional learning where you can decide on what you want to learn. And then if you want to go hang out with a specialist and learn how to do something better like scanning or dentistry or whatever your jam is, as long as it fits within the growth plan of the clinic, that's fine. Like we want you to do that. So it's it's taking beyond just doing a continuing education course and saying, look, you need it as a reading day. Take as a reading day. We want to invest in your skills. That's really important. And obviously then part of the support was teaching non, you know, the professional skills. So one-on-one coaching, tutoring on things like client communications, like emotional intelligence, like positive psychology. So it's that we're arming our people with the tools to build their own resilience from within. So between the appointment length, there always being at least one other vet in the building to offer support for the vast majority of the time baked in education and uh, a more forgiving schedule of shorter time you know we seem to have been able to create a very sustainable situation where vets really enjoy coming back after their holidays (laughs) and it's a good vibe in the practice you know it's just been great to do that but it's also profitable to do that because the half hour appointments you get more time with clients so you get more time to interact with them, build trust with them, recognize disease with them, communicate. And so the, the the workups that we would book in are, you know, the consults are priced accordingly, but not the same way. It's, it's not like we've gone, right, a 10-minute appointment would cost this, so it's half hour, so it's three times more expensive. It's a little bit more expensive, 
but we generate more operations. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. There's a lot of good things that you're saying there, and I'm like, I'm nodding my head because I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's all. So you're coming all to work great here? stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, visa issues, right? Got COVID issues. <laughs> <laughs> we're all, we're all uh, good. <laughs> but no, as you're saying all these things, I'm like, oh gosh, that is it's just so refreshing to hear someone else, and not just in my practice, be like, you know what? We need to teach them the clinical things, but we also need to provide the space for them to learn the emotional intelligence and the client communication side of things, because it's not something that we come out of vet school knowing how to do. They are building a lot more client communication courses into veterinary education, which is great. And there's an episode that I don't know if it's going to be before, after this, whatever, talking about this exact thing um, at a university. But still, it's like you don't really know how you're going to react or how you're going to like how fast you're going to learn until you're in those situations, until you're in that consult room with that client and they're angry at you or they're happy or they're just confused. And it's up to you to figure out, okay, how fast do I pace this consult? How do I change the questions that I'm asking to help this client better understand and to get them on our like to work together as a team to help this patient? So what are some of the things that your practice is doing to actually encourage and, and teach them the emotional intelligence side of things? Because we know you can teach emotional intelligence. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. The first thing is we actually look for a certain level of emotional intelligence and values alignment in our hiring process. So you could be the most brilliant of brilliant surgeons or diagnosticians, but if you just didn't have a sort of sense of self-awareness and also the ability to sort of recognize or control your emotions, and we got a vibe of that, then that's going to be hard because that's going to be pretty damaging for our culture. You can't be good and toxic. You know, I think there's a, I don't know if it's a book, but there's a no asshole (laughs) rule. And we try really, really hard not to let people in the door who struggle with that immensely. Of course, we can all get better at it and we all have moments of challenge. And we all suffer moments where we are triggered and we lose our cool. And so one of the most effective ways is to reflect on that, recognize that it happened. It's never too late to put something right and make an apology to rebuild trust. But it doesn't excuse it happening again. Like You can't just blow up, then apologize and expect everyone to be okay with that. You know, Real in- emotional intelligence comes from recognizing the situations that trigger you, recognizing, naming, describing the emotions that brew up inside you because of those triggers, 
and then working on ways to divert that emotion so as that you know letting the wave pass over you because emotions will come and they will go if you don't fuel them with storytelling and additional negative thinking and then when you're in a better emotional state you get to particularly with anger frustration anxiety those things are really good at switching off your neocortex and your rational brain centers and you get into fight or flight and you just want to bop someone on the nose for doing something to you (laughs) And, you you know, you fill in a lot of the blanks with negative stuff that probably isn't true. Like, you know, why are they trying to do this to me? Why are they trying to wreck my life? And they're like, well, they probably didn't do that. They probably just did something you didn't like and it wasn't that intentional. But once you can move out of that state into a more rational sense, that really is, if you're stuck on what to do next, then it's, there's a couple of things. One, you can talk to mentors. The other thing you can do is think of somebody who you think in, it can be a a real or a, a fake character. But let's say there's somebody you really admire because they seem to have their shit together. Then just ask yourself, let's let's think, who in your life do you think, oh, that person's got their shit together? They always seem to have the right answer. Imaginary can be fictional character. Mm. Who always handles it right? I'm going to choose one. Ted Lasso. Really? I love that show. I love (laughs) that show. But he says some goofy stuff, but he's always always thinking. He's always thinking of the other person. Yeah. And – Hmm. So I, I would tend to go, and one of my mentors, wonderful lady called Nancy Schlesinger, I always go, what would Nancy do? Or what would Ted do in this situation? And that way you can almost get into character because you're just, you're conjuring up a different emotional state. That's what actors do. It's true. And you can almost fake it till you kind of make it. And then you're like, actually, this is going better, which can then reinforce your emotional state. So in a sense, we're only ever following our instincts. And they often lead us astray. You know, it is an instinct to be angry when somebody slights us because it's a prehistoric thing. Like, oh, they're taking some of my food from my mm-hmm. table. Therefore, I will die. Therefore, I must smite them. <laughs> no, they're, no, none of that's true. It's just something that happened. So it's like, mm, okay, that didn't go so good. And it's a recurrent pattern. Maybe I could give them some feedback to assist us both in having a more cordial relationship. That might Absolutely. be a gift. So it's a little bit of reframing. And then... Once you've sort of been through the process of recognition, reflection, what might be a different way, and how could I access those emotions, it's a matter of practicing and asking for feedback. And sometimes it doesn't hurt just to tell people you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's so many things in that that I'm like, I'm guilty. I'm so guilty of that right there. <laughs> well, me too. I mean, <laughs> I'm away. <laughs> We're like, human. <laughs> a good start point is to take an emotional intelligence test Oh, I'm blanking. Do you have a good recommendation that we can, I guess we can link it in this, right? Totally, yeah, we link in the show notes. Emotional Intelligent 2.0 is the book. I think it's Travis Bradbury, I want to say, is the name of the guy. Okay, that's a familiar name, yeah. Yeah, and there's a test you can take online. It is not expensive. It's worth investing in. Everyone goes, oh, I don't want to pay for a test. It's like $40. Like, it's your future. Do the damn test. Come on, yeah, right? If you've got a bad score, then no shame. But there's a great place to work because the quality of your life will be down to the quality of your relationships forget just veterinary medicine that's just universally true if you've got good quality relationships you will be having a good quality life options will be abundant for you and if you've got bad quality relationships then it's going to be a slog oh gosh okay so that that trey you said travis bradbury we're going to link that quiz here everyone go and take it and is this something that you re- almost require your new graduates or everyone in your practice to take or? Well, we put everybody through the Thrive course. Okay. 
a shameless plug, which is now free on Vex International. Hey, go check it out. It is like that was $1,500 when we launched it. It's free because we want these skills out there and that's important. So do check that out. And we have an emotional intelligence training session with actually Nancy, one of my mentors on there. So it's well worth attending. And that signpost to the start. But yeah, I think there's sort of 10, 11 really core skills that, that would count under the soft skills banner. Mm-hmm. We try to cover that off in a Thrive class. So that's why we create it. But certainly it's important for us, for my practice, that we discuss these things and we foster it. And we're not all brilliant at it. And we're not all brilliant at it all the time. Like we have moments where we're not our best selves because we're humans, but it's recognizing them. And you know, when necessary, kissing and making up because that's part of relationships as well. So we started talking about the appointment length, but at Roundwood, like what is the appointment length that you guys use for your new grads? We have a half hour for our appointments as standard for everybody. Like it wasn't just for new grads. We just said, well, actually, this is how long we think it needs to do an appointment. Not every single appointment needs to be half an hour. Like there are things that are going to come back for suture removal, but they're they're going to go in and see our nurses in any case. Yeah. We want all of our people taking time. So we built a practice around taking time, being friendly. I'm going to borrow a phrase from a brilliant human called BJ Miller, who was on Blunt Dissection podcast. He's an end of life, you know, palliative care doctor and was the exec director of the Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco. Amazing human being, literally radiates positivity. Just a phenomenal person. And what he wanted the families, the guests, as they would call them, that are coming at the end of their life to experience was the the warm embrace of a familiar hug when they entered the Zen Hospice Project. So he would have the smell of cookies and you know, instead of being all medical and machines going bing, yeah. they would say, do you want ice cream? And they go, is that allowed? Like, that's not going to help me. It doesn't matter. This isn't a place about what's right and wrong. It's about what feels good for you in the end, what matters most now. And so for the practice, we just wanted to say, well, what can we do to create this warm embrace of a familiar hug for our clients coming in? And you've got to have happy team members if you're going to get that stressed humans don't give people warm embraces (laughs) you know if you're running 10 20 minutes behind every console everyone's grumpy about that you can't do it so we wanted to take that off the table and like i'm so chatty as you probably gathered no no not at all half our appointments almost have become a liability like i'm a liability now even in that length of time because i'll just talk and talk talk, (laughs) talk, talk but it's taken away a lot of the stress. And we just looked at the, the stress points in the practice. Dentistry was another stress point. Like you book in a dental as a scale and a polish. You do the x-rays on it and suddenly you're like, oh, crap. Oh, suddenly it's a grade three. Yeah, right. Right. And there's seven extractions and it's the new graduate doing them who isn't confident with extractions. And now that's a four-hour anesthetic. You've got a freezing animal. Nobody's feeling good about that. And everybody's in, you know, tired, and, you know, all bad. Yeah. So we split our dentals and we said, like, well, we're going to do scale and polishing and charting like a cohort type thing to start with and once we know what we're dealing with we will schedule a second procedure off the back yep. of that staging saves it, everybody's lives it really does and, and so in doing that we took away two of the massive stressors in practice overrunning appointments and unpredictable dentals everything else is generally fairly predictable um, bar walk-ins and yeah we schedule appointments, we schedule volumes of work each day to accommodate those. So the, the appointment schedule cannot be booked out 
three days in advance of someone. There's always space on the day for what seems to be a a level of walk-ins appropriate for our practice. And there's always space to accommodate an emergency procedure if needs be. So do we sacrifice a little profit to do that? Yes, but we do it in the name of a sustainable practice that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. Is it perfect? No. Do we screw stuff up? Yeah. Do we have emotional moments where we could have been better? Absolutely. But we're pretty good at fixing them and we tend not to have them as much. In fact, probably a lot less than other clinics. So that makes me feel good. Sounds like a pretty awesome place to work. Are you guys hiring? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and COVID's not Plug. that bad, Mo. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. Maybe you want to look at people who are graduating from that school in the UK. <laughs> exactly. But the purpose is to, you know, yes, come on, if you're in the UK and you like the sound of it, send me your resume. But wherever you are, like it is possible to do this. It's possible to do it in a way that works for everybody. It just, it takes challenging some of the state's mm-hmm. core things. And that's, that's what I love about the clinic. Like it's staffed by every senior member of that team is a working mom with at no least way. two kids. Every single that's one. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Right. So don't tell me it can't be done. You can find a way with talented people that, like all of my guys, so proud of them. They work hard. There's a great culture. And it's funny, when we write articles, sometimes people throw rocks at us and say, this isn't possible. Like, you you know, like, uh, we've just got pregnant ladies. And you're like, come on, try hard. It's just, just like invite them to your practice to be like, no, 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 just, just come along. See it happens. See it works. Let me introduce you to this team of lionesses who will eat you for breakfast. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ugh, yeah, guys, if. You guys are still hiring at the point that this episode Yeah, we, we may or may out. not be, but like, if you're an interested person, we'll find a home for you because... Send me your CV. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and we're, we're not corporate and you can earn shares in the practice as well. Like it's that kind of place, genuinely. <laughs> so there you go. Roundwoodvets.co.uk. That's a shameless plug. Sorry, Mo. <laughs> no, I think that's allowed here. I think that's allowed here. <laughs> I can let it slide. Oh, gosh. So we've talked about a lot of things for this, what was supposed to be a shorter episode, but we both know we're terrible at keeping two time limits. So yeah, it's just not our forte, guys. (laughs) So to round us up, like, let's try and summarize everything that we've talked about. So from the graduate standpoint, the things that you can do to advocate for yourself and actually, like, set yourself up for success is definitely like, talk to the people in the practice talk to the the past new graduates and come up with a mentorship clause. Like that will save you so much stress, partly because it will tell you what type of questions and what type of conversations to have with that management team before you even start. That'd be my side of things. And then from the managerial and ownership side, like what are the top things that you'd recommend? Well, trying to keep it to a short time. Yeah. Remember. No, I, I was actually thinking like, you know, what is important? What I love as a manager, I don't expect perfection, but if there's a problem, bring a problem and your version of the solution and let's work on it together. There has to be more, like we have to get away from this sort of shaming of each other and work together more to come to solutions in this. And from a leadership capacity, just because we always did it that way really isn't going to be a great play for the future when so much has changed from generational expectations, from client expectations, from the pressure that comes with doing this all in in the backdrop of very 
perceived public eye on social media to debt pressures. There's so much just, you know, to technology, the amount of information people now have to keep in their brains. It's a lot. And a bit of empathy goes a long way. And I think that would be my message to both halves. If we can empathize with each other's reality, then we're smart. We can problem solve our way to a version of what reality looks like that works for everybody in your place, whatever that is. The way we've done it isn't, it's the way that works for us. It's a blueprint. It's not the blueprint, not by any stretch. We can fix this. We can figure it out, but we got to do it together. And I think things are starting now. Like five years ago, it really wasn't talked about. Now we're actually getting to that point where like whenever there is a big problem in any sphere, like it blows up first and everyone's like, oh my gosh, big problem, big problem. And then it kind of dies down and people are like, okay, how do we fix this? And I think that's where our profession is starting to transition to. Like we've had the big poof explosion of there's not enough vets. Everyone is burning out and blah, blah, blah. It's old versus young. And now we're like, okay, we're still calming down from all of that, but we're starting to really move forward with how do we make this profession sustainable? So that's our 10 cents or 40 minutes worth of 10 cents there you go. <laughs> on the subject. Good, good value. It's 10 not going to be 40 minutes. Right, right. <laughs> it's not going to be the last time we chat about this. But Dave, thank you so much for coming on to the show once again and sharing your valuable insight. Um, so of course, we've already shouted out Roundwood. We've already shouted out Thrive. We've already shouted out FedEx. All the information will be in the show notes. But I what promised else do you my attention, but whilst we're there why not no i mean <laughs> listen no i actually want to shout out everybody who is working hard with what the best they've got as well because it's too easy just to beat people up and make them feel shit and never want to end on that note like you're doing great work it's hard none of this is easy but we're so much better if we do it together that is all there we go all right guys you've had us uh, chatting at you for a while so we're gonna let you go this week but hopefully you stick around for next week's episode of That Vet Life. Bye, y'all. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also leaving a review of the show on iTunes, we greatly appreciate it because again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.